The following audio is from the Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. Good morning, everybody. I hope you're doing well as we continue to navigate into 2023. I do want to announce that we have a problem. And uh, so... I was going to say Houston, we have a problem, but for some of you that are younger, you'd be like, we're not even in Houston. So I just wanted to, um, anyway, that's a dad joke. You're welcome for that. But uh, no, wanted to let you know that, uh, you know, we've had uh, more and more people coming and, and, and part of our gatherings, but uh, we're trying to figure out what to do to make space and had a lot of conversations this, this last week, just praying and what to do. And um, we're actually going to be adding a gathering on Sundays starting February 5th. So just a heads up. So yeah. It's a good problem, so you can give a little golf clap or whatever you want to do, but um, there you go. But um, yeah, so just a heads up, and by the way, what it means is all of our gathering times are going to change, and some of you guys are like, well, you need a new jingle, if you remember back when we kind of created one. Um, So we'll get to that, and maybe you could win a prize when we get there, but... um, the reason is, like I said, it's, it's always our passion to help people connect. And clearly, we've talked about building and expanding the facility. And that will begin sometime after Easter. And, and as we continue to hear from the city and work with general contractors and all that, we'll let you know, keep praying about that part of the journey, because we are going to build a new auditorium and stuff. But until we get there, clearly we want to make room. Amen? Um, and so what we're doing is adding a gathering, and it's always a tricky thing because there's a basic principle to anything. But in church world, the phrase that I learned years ago is you need empty seats during optimal times, right? And, and you know that. It's kind of intuitive. So here's the deal. As we add a gathering, we're trying to figure out how to not add one at like 6 a.m. or, you know, like 2 p.m. or whatever. Those are bad times. So here's what we're doing, and it means we're basically shaving about five minutes per gathering. But here are our new gathering times starting February 5th. Nope, not going to do it. Um, 8.15, and 11.45. And again, that's the whole thing of like, we don't want to start at noon or later for Grove Kids' sake. We don't want to start 8 a.m. earlier because that's pretty early for our early gathering. So those are our times. Just a heads up there. That will start on February 5th. Next week is normal. And if you're relatively new, by the way, to the church, I would love to have you be part of Pizza with the Pastors next week at 10, uh, 12, excuse me, 12.30. So heads up there. But anyway, also the online gathering um, will be, uh, put that back up there. There we go. Thank you. Whoever, whoever's doing that. Um, it's going to be at 10.25 live online, so that always starts 10 minutes earlier than the in-person gatherings. I know that's confusing. Take a picture, go online, grove.church, look it up, download our app. We'll try to make sure you get the info, but that is what's coming, so make a decision based on what times are, they're, they're, are coming up uh, to attend, and that will be awesome. Um, we're in a series called Made to Crave, and uh, that's kind of the graphic that you see, and the, the subtitle is Reclaiming Your Hunger for Truth. If you're looking for a spot to land today, um, we're going to be in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So there you go. Um, Yeah. Yeah, the whole thing, we're going to tackle it in the next 26 minutes. It's about what I have. So heads up there. But I want to take you back to last week. And what we're going to be doing over the next bunch of weeks, the the last couple of weeks were a little bit of an intro and a challenge to you. I talked about your homework, uh, praying, reading Mark 4, the parable of the soils, and praying about your heart and where you're at with that. Um, And and today we're going to jump into tackling portions of Scripture. And like I said, obviously it's an overview. You could take like the first chapter of Genesis alone and and weeks and weeks and weeks on the details of it. And we're going to talk about some of that today. But if you step back and and take the 35,000 foot view, and I reminded you this last week about 
this, that, that it's really, uh, the Bible is really God's love story to us, God's passion for mankind, and, and, and we'll get into the details of it here, but that's kind of overarching, that's what we have in the Bible. As you step you know, a little bit closer, John, the disciple, as he writes the opening of his gospel, says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, talking about Jesus. So when you and I spend time in the Scriptures, it's literally you and I spending time with Jesus. And that's essential in our lives, which is why I say all the time, be readers of Scripture. It's part of what we need to do, and it's spending time with Jesus. As you come in a little bit closer in the picture... In the Bible, what we have is Old Covenant and New Covenant. Now, a lot of you might know this, some of you might not, but when you open up the Bible, it's, it's two different covenants, two different testaments. The Old Covenant is 39 books from Genesis. You open it up the beginning, you'll end up in Genesis. As you continue to turn through the pages, you'll get to eventually Malachi a long ways back, 38 books later. So there's 39 books in the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi. And then there's about 400 years historically of kind of silence scripturally. You can read in, in, in history about the Maccabees and all the things happening in history in Israel in other texts, but then you get to kind of the Christmas story, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Gospels, and that's where you get to the New Covenant. Again, we're going to talk about more of this and get into more detail, but the New Testament or New Covenant is Matthew through Revelation. So you have the Gospels, Acts, history, Pauline letters, letters written to the church, So, and we'll talk about that later. Today, we're going to tackle the first five books of the Old Testament, and like I said, it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's also called the Pentateuch. So if you've ever heard that word, it basically means five containers, five kind of buckets of, of, of understanding for the nation of Israel, at least back then. Another phrase for the, the Pentateuch is the law of Moses. Jesus, when he would talk about the law of Moses, specifically was talking about the Pentateuch. And then another word for the Pentateuch is the Torah. So if you've ever heard that before, um, that's the first five books that we're talking about. And the cool thing is this, as you jump into it, it starts with this, in the beginning. And many of us have read those words before. I remember as a little kid, I didn't grow up in church world, but my aunt and uncle got me a Bible as a little kid. And, and I remember randomly opening it up. And just like anybody would, I kind of opened to the beginning and it started with in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I remember I'd get seven, eight chapters in and be like, okay, I'm done for now. And I'd close it and I'd come back later, years later and read again. But it starts out with in the beginning, but it says this, in the beginning, God. Now, those are some of the most important words in human history. And yet it's easy for us to take them for granted. When it starts out in the beginning, God, what, it, what it's saying is this, in context, the idea of beginning, when you read it in Genesis, is this, in the beginning of, of kind of our realm of time. But part of understanding that is, theologically, when it says in the beginning, God, it means this, there is a God in heaven that lives outside of our realm of time. You and I, we're very linear and there's clearly no going back. I don't care if you've watched Back to the Future and figured out 1.21 gigawatts or whatever it is. That, that, that's not for real. You can't bend and go backwards in time. There's nothing in science that has said that's, that's doable, at least at this point. So there we are. But when you look at who God is, he lives outside the realm of time in the beginning God. Now it says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that's part of a, kind of a big deal. God is not limited by our realm realm of time. He's outside of it. Another thing to understand is God has always been. Sometimes the question is asked, if, if, if there's a God who created us, who created God, right? Logically, we go, well, who created God? But that's to misunderstand this idea of, of kind of, and I, this sounds weird to say, other dimensions. God doesn't live in, in, in simply three or four dimensions that we're kind of stuck in, in this world, in our time. God lives outside of that, and he always has been. 
and he always will be. And as you continue to read and study scripture, you learn about some of the names of God or the ideas of who God is. His omniscience knows everything. His omnipresence, he's everywhere all the time. Kind of these big words, but it starts out in the beginning, God. And it says in the beginning, God created. And I love this picture because when you, when you get into it, we, we believe wholeheartedly that God created this world, this planet. God put the pieces together the way that it, that it you know, orbits around the sun so that, that life can exist, that it, that it rotates kind of almost on a 24-hour exact timeline. And we have this night and day and all this stuff. But it says, in the beginning, God created. God did not just create this earth and this planet. We believe God created the entire cosmos and lives outside of the realm of, of, of the cosmos. He's bigger than that and everywhere all the time. Our amazing ecosystems, if you remember in science class in what, like seventh or eighth grade and, you know, all the ecosystems and plants and animals and they all live together symbiotic and all that stuff. Our own bodies, eyesight alone are all miracles of God. Have you ever thought about how eyesight works? You experience a miracle every time that you look around. It really is a marvel of how God has created us. Again, this planet with a plan and the entire cosmos, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void and darkness hovered over the surface of the deep. And then it says this, and the spirit of God hovered over the waters. What I love is as I was putting the pieces of this message together, I was also reading a book by, I'm, I'm currently reading a book by Mark Batterson called Whisper. And, and, and he's talking about some of the, the details. And I went, this actually relates specifically to um, th this message. And I want to read a little bit of what he says. He says this, this is Mark Batterson. Long before the Holy Spirit filled or stirred or gifted or convicted or sealed or revealed or remind, reminded, we find him hovering over the surface of the deep. And he's still hovering over our lives the way he hovered over creation. He still speaks light into darkness. He still brings order out of chaos. He still makes beauty out of ashes. The Hebrew word used to describe God's proximity is penium, and it's multidimensional. In regard to time, penium refers to the split second before and the split second after, a parenthesis in time. In regard to space, penium refers to the place right in front of and right in back of a parenthesis in space. He is God with us in every sense of the word. He is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Batterson goes on to say, A.W. Tozer pictured Panium this way. God is above, but he's not pushed up. God is beneath, but he's not pressed down. He's outside, but he's not excluded. He's inside, but he's not confined. God is above all things presiding, beneath all things sustaining, outside of all things embracing, and inside of all things filling. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit is hovering. The Holy Spirit is whispering. The Holy Spirit is breathing into you the same breath he breathed into the dust bowl named Adam. It's amazing when you and I begin to get into the implications of what God's word says. And my hope is, as I share what I share today, that, that it does stir a craving in you to know more. Because it really is a marvel that God has gifted us as we look at his word and study out the implications of it. In fact, in, in this book, Mark Batterson writes, and I've got this on Kindle here. And I'm going to read a bunch, but bear with me because I felt like it was so pertinent to this message when it gets into that not only was the Spirit of God hovering over the, the, the waters, it says that the first words of God were this, let there be light. Now here's the implications of those four simple words. You may have no sensation of motion right now, but that's an illusion of miraculous proportions. The reality 
You're on a planet that is spinning around its axis at a speed of approximately 1,000 miles an hour. And you don't even get a little bit dizzy, most of us. Plus, the planet Earth is speeding through space at approximately 67,000 miles an hour. So even on a day when you feel as if you didn't get much done, you've traveled 1,608,000,000 miles through space. Now, let me ask, when was the last time you thanked God for keeping us in orbit? I'm guessing the answer is never. Why? Because God is so good at what he does that we take it for granted. Never once have I knelt and prayed, Lord, I wasn't sure we'd make the full rotation today, but you did it again. There are people, and perhaps you're one of them, who would say they've never experienced a miracle. With all due respect, I beg to differ. We experience a miracle of astronomical proportions each and every day. The irony is that we already trust God for the big miracles, like keeping us in orbit. Now the trick is trusting him for the little miracles, everything else. In order to fully appreciate the power of God's voice, we have to go all the way back to the beginning. And like I said, we're talking about this Genesis verse. He speaks the universe into existence with, count them, four words. God said, let there be light. Here's a paraphrase. I love this. Let there be electromagnetic radiation with varying wavelengths traveling at 186,282 miles per second. Let there be radio waves, microwaves, and x-rays. Let there be photosynthesis and fiber optics. Let there be LASIK surgery, satellite communication, and suntans. Oh, and let there be rainbows after rainstorms. Let there be light. Those are God's first recorded words. This is God's first recorded miracle. Light is the source of vision. Without it, we can't see a thing. Light is the key to technology. It's how we can talk to someone halfway around the world with, without so much as a second's delay because light can circle the globe seven and a half times per second. Light is the first link in the food chain. No photosynthesis equals no food. Light is the basis of health. The absence of light causes everything from vitamin D deficiency to depression. And we live here and we know that. Light is the origin of energy. In Einstein's equation, E equals mc squared, E is defined as mass. M the speed of, times the speed of light, C squared. The speed of light is the constant. And light is the measuring stick for space-time. A meter is defined as the distance traveled by light in a vacuum during a time interval of 1,299,792,458 of a second. Whew, let me take a breath. Light is the alpha and omega of everything, and that includes you. Did you know that embryologists have recently captured the moment of conception via fluorescence microscopy? What they discovered is that the, at the exact moment a sperm penetrates an egg, the egg releases, releases billions of zinc atoms that emit light. Sparks fly, literally. That's the miracle of conception, and it's a microcosm that mirrors God's first four words. On January 1st, 1925, Edwin Hubble gave a presentation to the American Astronomical Society that proved to be a cosmological paradigm shift. At the time, the prevailing opinion was that the Milky Way galaxy might be the sum total of the cosmos. Hubble, a pioneer in extragalactic astronomy, argued otherwise. His key piece of evidence was the degree of red shift observed in light coming from distant stars that increased in proportion to their distance from planet Earth. In one fell swoop, the size of the known universe was increased by a factor of 100,000. 
even more significant was this simple fact. The universe is still expanding. Nearly a century later, the Hubble telescope has spied an estimated 200 billion galaxies, and recent research indicates that this, may be, uh, this estimate may be at least 10 times too low. Here is the significance of that discovery. The four words spoken by God in the beginning are still creating galaxies at the outer edges of the universe. Four words, and the result is an ever-expanding universe that measures at least 93 billion light years in diameter. If God can do that with four words, what are we worried about? The very first revelation of God was as creator. And because his creation is so awe-inspiring, it's easy to overlook what he did. But to me, the mechanism of creation is just as amazing as creation itself. How did God create with his voice? The universe is his way of saying, look at what I can do with four words. The voice that spoke the universe into existence is the same voice that parted the Red Sea and made the sun stand still. His voice can heal a withered hand or wither a barren fig tree. His voice can turn water into wine, install synaptic connections between the optic nerve and visual cortex in a blind man's brain, and resurrect a man four days dead. There is nothing God's voice cannot say and cannot do. And frankly, he can do it however he pleases. He can speak through burning bushes, Balaam's donkey, or Bethlehem's star. His voice can write on palace walls or shut the mouths of lions. It can quench the flames of a fiery furnace or stop a storm on the Sea of Galilee. The voice of God is all-powerful, but that's only half the story. His voice is also all-loving. And I'll stop there. I read all of that. And I read all of it to go, and you're like, why did I even come? Just tell us to read the book, right? I, I get it. But the reason I say it is because for you and I, when we look at in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And while there's all kinds of conversation and debate about how and what and why and when, all that stuff. Nevertheless, when you look at the details and implications of something like four simple words that God said, let there be light, how profound that is and is still at work today. What's amazing is as the story continues, you get to Genesis and it talks about creation, the firmament and land and water and sky and sun and moon, all this stuff. And then creation of animals and creation of mankind and the fall of man and original sin and the problem that comes into the world and, and the issue with sin because of what happened way back when. And even in Genesis chapter 3, there's a reminder of God's rescue mission. If you're taking notes, write down Genesis 3, verse 15. It's prophetic about a coming Messiah because God immediately at the fall had a plan to rescue us because he loves us that much. As the story continues, you have Noah, and God says, build a boat because it's going to rain, and it had never rained before. So you can imagine, and one pastor said it this way, it's like God saying, hey, it's going to oomph. Like, what does that mean? I don't know. Build a boat. Okay. And Noah does this whole thing. And as the story continues, Abraham. And amazingly enough, in Genesis chapter 12, when God is revealing himself, time out, over and over as we read scripture, the picture is God is revealing himself progressively through it. And you find out, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, some of the names of God and why they matter and, and how they apply to our lives. But again, my hope is it stirs a craving for you and I for the scriptures, for the revelation of God's love and God's word to you and to me, God says to Abraham, I want you to leave your people and go to the land I'm promising you. But he, he says certain words like this. All nations on earth will be blessed through you. The tense of that phrase means forever and all time for history. 
How many of you have sat in a Sunday school at some point in your life and sung the song, Father Abraham? If you sung that song, it's profound because it was the promise given way back in Genesis to Abraham that I will give you a land and I will make your people as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the sea and all nations on earth will be blessed through you. And God is still doing that today. There's little hints of who God is as he reveals himself and it's amazing and it's profound. And as the story continues from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, who then would be named Israel and the nation of Israel would come from him. Joseph and the 12 tribes as you end the book of Genesis and the reminder even from Joseph that he said to the, the, the brothers that he had uh, that, that God has promised us a certain land on oath to our fathers. At the end of Genesis, Joseph has, has brought the nation of Israel because of a severe famine into Egypt to survive the famine. And the Pharaoh there looks favorably on Joseph and everything's great and Joseph passes away. But then when you get to Exodus, there's a problem. And the problem is Joseph and his generation pass away. The Pharaoh that gave them favor passed away and the new Pharaoh that rises up in power notices that the Israelites are multiplying like crazy and is like, this could eventually be a problem for us. And he tries to oppress them and it doesn't work. And he decides to have their babies killed and it doesn't solve the problem. And Moses comes along in the midst of this story and God says to Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and, and rescue my people. Now, one thing you might not know in this story is that Moses grew up in the court of Pharaoh as a child within the, the, the palace. And so Pharaoh as the ruler and Moses were kind of stepbrothers in a sense because he was raised there. And so when Moses is told to go to Pharaoh, his immediate response is, who am I and what can I do? And don't you understand what I've already done? Another story for another day about murder and some of the problems within the human condition. But I want to take a moment and pause before we get to the 10 plagues as Moses is told to go to Pharaoh and mention Exodus chapter 6. If you're taking notes, write this down, Exodus 6 verse 2. It's profound because over and over in Genesis, God is referred to as El Shaddai. Now, some of you guys immediately go, oh, another Amy Grant song. I know. I, I just, a couple weeks ago, we stumbled upon that. Anyway, um, but, but God is referred to as El Shaddai, which means God Almighty or the Lord Almighty. So a lot of times you'll see in Genesis, the Lord Almighty. One time, uh, God reveals himself to Abraham as Yahweh. Now, this was a huge deal that you and I can just read right past and go, it is what it is. It's a different name for God, whatever. But it's a big deal because once again, God is revealing himself. And the nation of Israel in Exodus 6 had this revelation or this idea that God is Yahweh, Y-H-W-Y. And it was such a reverent name for the Lord of heaven and earth or of God Almighty that they had, had this, you can't even say the word. They wouldn't even say the word. They would talk about the Lord, the, you know, El Shaddai. But, but the translation of Yahweh, which we typically spell Y-A-H-W-E-H, is Jehovah. And it's this idea of the Lord, but oftentimes in the Old Testament, God would reveal himself as Jehovah something. And in Genesis 22, this happens with Abraham and Isaac, and God provides a ram to be sacrificed as part of a ceremony that was to, to, to take place. And that's where Abraham understands that God is Yahweh who provides. And, and the word there for Jehovah is Jehovah Jireh. It's why sometimes you've maybe heard this idea, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. He can be trusted as a God that is a provider. And that applies to you and I even today. 
just a real quick overview of this, but um, in Exodus 15, um, the, the, there's a plague that happens in, in, in for the Israelites, and they come to Moses and don't know what to do, and God reveals himself as Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer. Another one is Exodus 17, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is our banner, the one whom we serve, which, by the way, in all kinds of contexts in Israel, what's peculiar, as you read Exodus and, and on through the scriptures, they believed wholeheartedly in one God. And at that point in history, there wasn't any other nation that believed there was one God. They believed there were multiple gods. And depending on what you needed, you would go to this God or go to this God. For this God, you would have to sacrifice this way. For this God, it would be this way. And sometimes it was sacrificing a child in the fire or cutting yourselves or you know, bowing down or, or certain exploits physically with their bodies and, and, and weird stuff. But the nation of Israel was the one who was revealed to them that God is one. There's only one. And that's it. The Lord Almighty, Jehovah. And, and so when they talked about the idea of being the Lord, our banner, it was the idea, this is the one God we will serve. And they understood that when you get to Exodus 17. Jehovah Shalom. Many of you probably know, the Lord is our peace. Jehovah Ra'ah, the Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 23, you know that phrase, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Um, another one, a little harder to say, Jehovah Sidkenu. The Lord is our righteousness. Jeremiah talks about that. Jehovah Shema, the Lord is here. There's many other ways God reveals himself, but the reason I say this is because the idea is, as you continue to read through scripture, it's God revealing himself to people. A God who cares desperately for all of mankind, including us today. Uh, it's another message for another day, another series we could get into, the names of God, but there are so many, it's, it's profound and amazing. So you get past Exodus chapter 6, and it's Moses going to Pharaoh saying, you need to let us go, we need to go worship. And Pharaoh over and over is like, no, you can't, no, you can't, no, you can't. And, and the Lord says to, to Moses, keep going and, and demanding that you go and leave and, and, and worship. And Pharaoh's heart is hard, and so I'm going to send some plagues. And if you've ever read the 10 plagues, it's a terrible story. Over and over, there's gnats and flies like you couldn't believe. There's frogs and there's hail and there's all kinds of crazy plagues that happen. And over and over and over, Pharaoh kind of relents, but then reneges on it. Relents and then says, no, 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 I'm going to do this. And, you know, I, I'm going to keep you here. And finally, there's a plague that is the death of the firstborn in Egypt. And, and God says, Pharaoh's heart is so hard that this is what needs to happen. And what he says is this, I'm going to send an angel of death, and this is what's going to happen. It's going to break his heart, but he will finally relent and let you go. Before that happens, though, I want you to, to basically, this is where Passover is instituted. I want you to celebrate a ceremony to me, the Feast of Unleavened Bread or the Passover. And I'm asking you, and he basically puts the, the different pieces together of a lamb and unleavened bread and all this stuff. And he says, when the lamb is sacrificed per group or per family, and you guys enjoy that meal, I want you to do it with your clothes ready so you're ready to go to travel the unleavened bread because you're in a hurry and you got to go. Um, but also I want you to take some of the blood of that lamb and put it on the doorpost, on the top and on the sides. So when the angel of death comes, then the angel will know what houses to inflict and, and who not to. And that happens and, and, and the nation is, you know, the nation of Israel is broken and Pharaoh says, Moses, get out, go. And they leave. And again, we're still in Exodus here. They finally leave Egypt and they get out. And where do they end up? On the edge of the Red Sea. Well, Pharaoh has, has second thoughts about letting him go. And what does he do? He sends a bunch of people to chase after him and bring him back. And the nation of Israel on the edge of the Red Sea says to Moses, wow, God is awesome. We're so glad you brought us here. No, no, they say the opposite. Moses, what have you done? We're gonna die here. And, and Moses comes to God and is like, what are we supposed to do? And, and God's like, well, put your staff out and, and this Red Sea is gonna part and you guys are gonna go through it. 
which again is a crazy miracle. Moses does it, and they get out the Red Sea, and the, the, the Egyptians who are chasing them, many of them end up drowning in chariots, all that stuff in the Red Sea, and they are rescued, and, and it's amazing. And it says that they, they put their faith in God and in Moses, and they marvel. And then just a few days go by, and what happens? We're so glad we're out here in the desert. No, no, no. They go to Moses and go, did you bring us out here to die? We wish we could go back to Egypt. At least they fed us. And this is, again, the plague of leadership for Moses. They're like, hey, we want this, we want that. What are we going to do? And God provides every step of the way. There's manna that comes in the middle of the night, and they get food to eat. And then they're like, we're tired of manna. Can we get some meat? And God sends a bunch of birds, and they get all kinds of meat, and everything's great. But they constantly grumble and complain, and Moses comes to God, and at a certain point says, I don't want to lead these people anymore. I'm tired of this. God says, just keep going and, and so Anyway, as you continue through Exodus, what you read about is God revealing himself to Moses and to the people of Israel. And there are certain moments where the tabernacle is established and the priestly divisions are established and there are certain laws that are established. And that's where it, kind of at the pinnacle of this whole story, God is committing himself by covenant to this nation. If you went through Irresistible with us, we talked about a bilateral suzerainty treaty. I know that doesn't mean anything to you. Like, what did you say? Um, but it's this idea of God being in covenant with the people of Israel, and he was. And as you continue through Exodus, you see this picture of who God is. As he says, I'm slow to anger. I'm abounding in love. I'll bless generation after generation, thousands of generations, but I do deal with sin and I take it seriously. And as God continues to reveal himself, it's amazing how you get like the Ten Commandments, God's kind of parameters for the nation of Israel to obey and, and walk with him. And then you get to Leviticus. And Leviticus is a tough one if you've ever read it. And it's over and over, chapter by chapter, various laws that have to do with how people relate to each other and how they relate to God. And that's the whole of Leviticus is all of these different laws and regulations and how to deal with skin diseases. Super awesome. Anyways, um, but... You kind of you kind of slug through it little by little, Leviticus, and then you get to Numbers. And I know I'm going real fast here. I apologize. There's more to it. You get to Numbers, and Numbers there's a bunch of censuses taken, a bunch of different numbers. This many of this tribe of Israel, this many of this tribe, or this many. And 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 it's amazing again to see the detail and the care that God has for them throughout this journey. And in Numbers there's conquests of certain people, and God's promise reiterated about getting to a certain land and, and dealing with it, and and. Numbers, there's disobedience and grumbling and all this stuff. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then you get to Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy is a little bit of a review. And it's, it's Moses giving some of the history of the nation of Israel. But the way that it's written, and you may never get this unless you study it, but the way that Deuteronomy is written is a reminder of God's covenant with his people. And you read a lot of things in Deuteronomy that you go, didn't, didn't we go over some of that? Wasn't that some of Leviticus, some of Exodus? And it's true. Because what it is, is Moses, he's, he's getting older and he's about to be done. He's going to pass away, but he's reminding the nation of Israel of their commitment to God and the reminder of how faithful God is. And it's actually when you understand Deuteronomy, inspiring to see how faithful and awesome he is. And sprinkled all throughout these five books, the Pentateuch, the Torah, the law of Moses are reminders of God's love through a coming Messiah. And there's reminders about God's blessing through Abraham of every nation in the history of the world until the end of time. And there's reminders of, of, of the rescue mission that God has. But what it does, and we're going to continue to get to this, it points to Jesus Christ. It points to the need for a Savior that we all have. And while on one hand I'm getting ahead, it never goes without saying on any given Sunday, there's a God who cares enough about us that this points to Jesus. 
God's rescue mission for your sin and my sin through a savior. The sin broke us and we still, every one of us, if we're honest, battle it all the time. Wrong motives and terrible thoughts, habits that we've picked up, things that we do that aren't right towards each other. God says, bring that stuff to me because Jesus paid the price you can find forgiveness. And it's a great reminder for all of us, but I bring all of this up. My hope is, again, to stir a craving in us while you can open the word and go, I don't understand any of this and feel like it's a mystery. My hope would be even by something as simple as a 30-minute flyover of the whole thing, that it sparks something in you, that God always is wanting to reveal himself to you. He wants you to know him. And he wants you to realize he honestly has the best plan for your life. Not always easy. Not always lining up the way you desire it. Because God's ways are far bigger than ours, but a reminder of God's great love through this story. And that's just the first five books. And my hope would be again, that you make a commitment to go, you know, I want to be a reader of scripture because God wants to reveal himself. And one of the best ways is for you and I to read the Bible. Father, today, I pray that you would continue to stir in us. That Lord, in some ways, 30 minutes is an absolute disservice to five whole books of scripture. And yet I do pray that as, as maybe certain points draw us in, as certain comments are made that, that, that maybe enlighten our minds, that God, you continue to stir that. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would rise up inside of every single one of us and remind us, God, that while we're sitting here in this room or somewhere at home and they're kind of chilling, doing their thing, that God, you would bring a conviction a commitment to be readers of scripture, to open it up and try to understand, God, that what you've given us is a beautiful portrait of your love and your rescue mission through the cross of Christ, that it points that direction constantly. And that God, to even understand Passover initiated in Exodus was fulfilled in Jesus, the final Passover lamb. And the communion in the upper room that wasn't anymore about Passover as an old covenant festival but as a reminder of the broken body and the blood of Christ, Jesus said, that's what's happening from here on out. Thank you for all that you've done. I pray that we would constantly see the arrows pointing to you because of your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or check us out at our website, grove.church.